your dreams. Hello and welcome to the Mormon Stories Podcast. This is John DeLynn. Very excited to have you with us today. Uh, we have taken a bit of a vacation from the podcast. We apologize for that, uh, but we're very excited to bring you a new episode today. Uh, today we are fortunate to have with us Todd Compton. Todd Compton is a well-known author. He uh, is a PhD in classics from UCLA, but he's probably most uh, widely known in the Mormon study circles for having authored uh, a book on polygamy called In Sacred Loneliness. Um, and he also edited the journals um, of Helen Mar Whitney that was published through the Utah State University Press. And he's, of course, uh, published um, in both Sunstone and Dialogue journals. But we're very excited to have Todd with us today. Todd, thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Today's going to be a little bit interesting. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to catch your interview on Times and Seasons yesterday. Um, very interesting read. Um, so kudos to you and for Times and Seasons for putting that together. Um, was that your first uh, sort of participation in the Bloggernacle, or have you uh, done other interviews? Uh, I haven't done other interviews. I've done, you know, little responses to things every now and then. Oh. But um, uh, I haven't done much with the Blogger Knuckle. Well, let me uh, let me offer you an official welcome to the Blogger Knuckle. Then <laughs> it's a it's a thank you. It's an interesting place. Anyway, uh, today's going to be a little bit different from the article uh, published in Times and Seasons or the interview. Because uh, I, I'm thinking about titling this uh, Polygamy 101. What I'd love to do is just basically, in whatever time we're able to pull together, cover the basics on polygamy. Um, not in a scandalous way, not in a way to dig up dirt, but just for someone who wants to know, what are the basic facts? Um, you know, what are they? Um, but before we do that, Todd, what I'd love to do is just learn a little bit about you, if you don't mind. Tell us just, if you don't mind, really briefly sort of what your background is in, in Mormonism, Mormon studies, what, what, what piqued your interest in Mormon studies, and what led um, you to want to write a book on this, uh, on this important topic? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm from Utah, and I was raised in the church, and um, so I've always kind of had an interest in Mormon history. Um, uh, when I went to BYU, I was very interested in Hugh Nibley and kind of was a follower of Hugh Nibley for quite a while and um, got interested in the ancient world. So I went to UCLA and got a Ph.D. in classics, which is Greek and Latin. And um, then after um, after I graduated, I had a hard time finding a job and... Uh, by kind of an odd sequence of events, I got a, a kind of a fellowship to study the journals of Eliza R. Snow at the Huntington Library. Where is that? Pasadena. Okay. California. And they have the original journals of Helen Mar Whitney, I mean, um, Eliza R. Snow. And so I, as I was studying those journals, trying to understand them, she referred to a lot of women... Um, and uh, I was trying to understand who, who, just simply who these women were, and so I realized she was a wife of Brigham Young, so I needed a good 
list of Brigham Young's wives, and um, I needed a good list of Heber J. I'm not um, uh, Heber C. Kimball's wives, because the Young wives and the Heber C. Kimball wives were really, really close. And I realized I needed a good list of Joseph Smith's wives. And now, around what year um, was this that you were you were reading? Um, oh, this might have been what ninety two, ninety three, something like that, ninety four. <laughs> and just out of <laughs> curiosity, how did Eliza R. Snow's um, papers get uh, donated to the Huntington Library? Uh, it's just one of those things. They had, they've always had an interest in Mormon in Mormon documents, and Juanita Brooks actually brought a lot of documents down there to them. And um, so I think they were sold to the to the library. Is that is that affiliated with UCLA then? Uh, no, no, not connected in any way. Interesting. Um, so I, I don't believe, I, it was one of the descendants of Lorenzo Snow, I think, who, uh, I don't think he donated them, I think he sold them. And so that's how they ended up there. Oh, and so this was in 92, so it was pre-internet, pre-Google, so to speak. Something like that, kind of, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Around then, 93, something like that. Um, we might have had internet, but it was pretty primitive. Right. Um, okay, so you started compiling these lists. So I found out that there really wasn't a good list of Joseph Smith's wives. And the closest thing we had was uh, the appendix of No Man Knows My History by Fawn Brody. And I really thought she didn't do a good job of of um, compiling, you know, that list that she has. And um, so, so up until this point, all those years of Sunstone and Dialogue publishing, there hadn't been any significant articles in those journals or others um, that, that listed the wives or attempted to? Uh, no. Um, not not really. It's kind of interesting. Huh. Um, Dan, Danielle Bachman, who's a person who was in um, this church educational system, he had done a really good um, master's um, master's thesis on Joseph Smith's polygamy, but that, you know, that was never published, and it wasn't widely distributed. Uh, and actually in that, he did, really didn't come up with a, a list himself. Um, uh, George Smith eventually published an article on Nauvoo polygamy, and he there was kind of a list there of Joseph Smith's wives. But he didn't have a biography of these these wives of Joseph Smith, and so I found out to make a list you kind of had to. Uh, so anyway, I'm jumping ahead here, but I decided since no one had created a list, it would be a good contribution to Mormon studies to create a, you know a really reliable list of Joseph Smith's wives, and to do that, I found out that I really had to, you know study the evidence to find out which really were Joseph Smith's wives, because uh, some of Fawn Brody's entries were based on really shaky, bad evidence. And so, and also I found out that it was, some of these women were pretty obscure, so you had to make sure you were identifying the right person, so you had to, you know, do like all the standard things, you had to have the 
birth date, death date, date of marriages, and to do that, you had to start writing little biographies. So uh, that's how I started. I just wanted a good, reliable list of Joseph Smith's plural wives, and to do that, I had to write little biographies. And then the little biographies, you know, I got interested in their lives, and so the little biographies became bigger biographies. That's how the book was written. Now, were you one of those um, members of the church that sort of was taught from er early years that that Joseph had many wives, or did you stumble upon that uh, later? I, you know, I don't remember when I found out about it. Um, I was always kind of interested in Mormon history, so I probably found out about it fairly early. And uh, it was never something I was... Polygamy was, you know, it was just something that, that was interesting, but I never went out of my way to find out about it. Um, I think I had read Religion and Sexuality by Lawrence Foster, which is a really fine book that deals with um, Mormon polygamy. It compares Mormon polygamy to two other kind of utopian groups in early America. You know, I'd read it, and it was interesting, and and um, but it wasn't a main focus for me. And I, I began writing this book purely... I began doing the research for my book purely to understand the journals of Elizar Snow better. Right. Because she would refer to someone as Sister, you know, Sister Kimball, and I would want to know who the heck that might be. Or she would refer to someone by a first name, like call someone, you know, um, Louisa, and I'd want to find out who that Louisa was. Sure. Um, okay, well then... But, but oh. of course, then, you know, I started reading the diaries and... You know, autobiographies of these women, and was you know they really had wonderful, wonderfully interesting, dramatic lives. And so, um, so I ended up writing these fuller biographies and trying to capture some of the drama and, and interest in their lives. Very good. Well, then let's let's then um, now that we understand sort of how you got to the point of of. Uh, of authoring the book, let's go ahead and jump into the content, and then after we've sort of discussed the content, then we'll jump back to reactions about the book and what the experience was like writing the book, and and um, maybe ask you some questions about how things are today. How does that sound? Sure. So let's just do a really quick um, beginning. Tell us really briefly what the biblical origins of polygamy are um, from the Old Testament standpoint. Um. Uh, polygamy is kind of a important Semitic marriage custom. And so um, it's practiced today in, you know, many, you know, in many parts of Africa, uh, in the Near East, um, Arabic. It's part of Islamic culture. Um, I believe a lot of Native Americans had polygamous wives. Um, and maybe I don't know if they still do, but they they did when um, you know when uh, whites came and started living among them. Um, so it's one of the standard marriage customs in in the Old Testament. And so you have people like Abraham, um, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe were all polygamists, and then you have, of course, kings like. King David and King Solomon were, were polygamous also. And um, I believe in um, the days of, of Jesus that polygamy wasn't 
widely practiced, but there was, you know, some Jews practiced it, you know, uh, it, it was just a lot rarer uh, in those days. And of course, at some point, I'm not sure exactly when, but at some point, I believe Judaism stopped practicing it altogether. Uh, however, as I mentioned, in Islamic nations, it is still practiced. I believe they limit it to four wives, though, which is an interesting practical limitation. <laughs> right. Number four. Uh-huh. So what are the first, you, you know, you hear about things going on in, in Kirtland. Um, you know, what are the first inklings or, or documents that, that you've come across that indicate that there was at least some thinking or some revelation or whatever it was? What were the seeds for polygamy um, uh, within Mormonism? Where did it begin? Well, um... The very first thing I believe is the um, the scripture in the Book of Mormon, and um, gosh, I don't have it right off the top of my tongue here, but basically, uh, where is it? Is that in Jacob where it says um, he denounces polygamy among the Nephites, but he says, you know, polygamy is is a bad thing unless I command. Right. Okay, and so depending on how you view the the Book of Mormon, you know you can either view it as as you know um, an inspired thing like most Mormons do, or you can as non Mormons you know view it differently. You know Joseph Smith, even if he had just received it as a revelation, you know that might have been the first thing that impressed him is that God could command and give polygamy and um, order polygamy. So, so I think that's the very first reference to it. So to establish a timeline then, around 1829 to 1830, you know, in the Book of Mormon, uh, yeah. Joseph Smith is uh, introduced to the concept of polygamy, and as you say, the notion that it, it can be allowed if uh, the Lord sanctions it. Right. Okay. And um, there was another situation where um, some of the brethren went to the to um, kind of a Lamanite mission and uh, there was some talk I think from Joseph Smith about possibly marrying women and um, Lamanite women and some of the brethren said how can we do that we're already married and, and um, Joseph Smith said you can do it like Abraham did or Isaac or Jacob by marrying plural wives so that possibly happened around something like 1831, 1832. We we don't have contemporary evidence for that, but someone reported it later in Utah. Um, however, I I believe uh, my dating for the first plural marriage was 1833, when I believe Joseph Smith married Fanny Alger, and um, so uh, I I believe it was as early as that. So that's the Kirtland period. So um, some of the reading that I've done, um, you know, a, a faithful Mormon would, would immediately say, well, Joseph's not going to begin marrying unless he's specifically been commanded to do so. And so the question immediately springs up, when did the commandment first come? Certainly it was before his marriage to Fanny, right? Uh, yeah, if you have, you know, if you if you look at it from that point of view, um, uh, if you think J- 
Joseph Smith would never marry unless he was commanded, then obviously you would think that God commanded him before 1833. Um, so obviously, if you're if you're a non-Mormon, you would tend to think that he, you know, came up with it um, on his own somehow. Um, and I I tend to have the idea of revelation as not just God, you know, like pouring information into your head. Uh, more that you know you yourself you know are put forth e- effort to to think about things and you know have spiritual you know spiritual interest in things and you know you're influenced by things like reading the scriptures and so all of this might have been part of um, you know Joseph Smith's background. We know he read the Old Testament very very carefully and was very caught up by it. You know, he was very caught up by the example of Abraham, who was a polygamist. And so depending on if you're a Mormon or a non-Mormon, you kind of think that in addition to all that study and pondering, he had, you know, inspiration and revelation. So I I was up on BYU's, they have a fact up on a BYU website where it actually states there's good evidence that that the revelation was received in 1831. Do you have any idea what they might be referring to when they when they make that claim? Um, there's some later statements by people like you know Orson Pratt and um, uh, Orson Pratt and Hiram Smith, uh, um, not Hiram Smith, this Joseph F. Smith. There's some statements that. Uh, Joseph Smith received the revelation that early. But they're saying this, you know, like in 1850, 1860. And so it would be nice if we had a more contemporary, you know, piece of evidence uh, for, um, you know, when precisely he received it. But according to those, you know, later statements, he did receive it, you know, that, that early. And by the way, the evidence for him marrying Fanny Alger in 1833 is a, is an autobiography by Messiah Hancock that, again, he wrote later in Utah. And however, he was a... Uh, Messiah Hancock was a full cousin of, of Fanny Alger, and his father, Levi Hancock, uh, performed the marriage, according to to uh, Messiah. So um, I, I personally accept Messiah Hancock's um, uh, autobiography as reliable. And, uh, so, um, but you know, this is this is an issue that all you know historians have to deal with everywhere. It's dealing with late evidence and evidence that's contemporary, and and you really like to get evidence as early as possible. But sometimes you have late evidence that's that's good. Right. Okay. So, so there's some evidence that in 1831. Um, there may have been a revelation based on um, some subsequent men. There's some decent evidence that there was a first polygamous marriage uh, that happened around 18... You said 1833? 1833, yeah. 1833. I, I think others have dated it up to 1834, 1835. Is that right? Um, pardon? It's, others have dated it potentially at 1834, 1835? That's true, yeah. Okay. And did, did Fanny actually um, live, in, live, live with Joseph and Emma? Or what, do, you, do you know anything about that situation? Yeah, she actually lived in the home kind of as a, a maid for a while. 
And this is in Kirtland? In Kirtland, yeah. Okay. And it was a very common thing to have, you know, helping, you know, helping maids and helping um, uh, almost kind of like nannies sometimes and uh, men, you know, servants around the house. Right. It was very common for young women to live in, in households. And um, so, yeah, she lived there for a while. We we have kind of a story that um, uh, that, again, this is a late story, but by someone who was there in Kirtland, uh, that um, Emma Smith uh, discovered that there was a connection between Fanny and Joseph Smith, and that she, you know, required Fanny to leave the house. Do you have a sense for what year that was, approximately? Uh, then we're talking about, um, and again, um, you know, we're talking about 1836, something like that, 1835, 1836. Um, and do you think, do you think Emma was the first person to find out, uh, outside of Joseph and Fanny? Well, I don't know. Well, no, Levi Hancock performed the marriage. Okay. So there was a small group that did know that um, Joseph Smith was involved in plural marriage. Do you know who it else? It was a very small group. Who else might have been in that group? Uh, like, was Hiram in on it at that time? Do we know? It's hard to say. Okay. It's really hard to say. So it's just really um, sketchy. Benjamin Johnson, Benjamin Johnson, who... Two of his sisters later married Joseph Smith, and he was in a lot of this early church history. And he wrote a, a memoir. He actually wrote a letter to uh, secretary of the First Presidency, and he talked about how he had learned in Kirtland that, that Fanny was married to Joseph Smith. So there, there, it was. It began to be known um, at that time. Now in. In eight, something just popped in my head. In 1835, um, I believe there's a section of the Doctrine and Covenants that actually um, alludes to claims that had been made um, that uh, the Mormons in Kirtland were practicing polygamy. And it seems to sort of um, be a denial. And it, it basically seems to state very specifically that polygamy is not part of the church. How how so as a how would a believing Mormon find a way to reconcile the fact that a revelation was likely received beforehand, at least one marriage was performed, yet the the doctrine and covenants seem to indicate that it was against church rules based on its scripture? Well, um it's a very interesting aspect of the history of Mormon polygamy that uh, sometimes it was practiced when it was not um, legal. And I believe in Kirtland and in Missouri and in Nauvoo, I believe that there were state laws that made it illegal. And so, and then later in, after the manifesto, some people um, practiced it, and once again it was illegal. And actually, it was illegal through um, before 1890. Before the I actually don't mean illegal. I mean uh, ag against okay, church but, law. But I'm I'm oh, okay. explaining. Okay, I'm sir. using that as a basis for this explanation here. Okay. Okay. And because it was illegal, often 
the church, you know, kind of like they had a public, uh, a public um, defense of a public. Um, how shall I say this? A public. Uh, they made public statements about polygamy, and then there was a kind of a private practice of polygamy, and they were not they were not exactly the same. And I believe that uh, the Mormons felt that um, because God had required them to practice polygamy, you know, it was like they were forced to have a public, um, uh, you know, a public denial of polygamy. And so throughout the history of polygamy, you have this. You have this opposition between, you know, public denial and private practice. You know, um, though, you know, in the 18, you know, starting in 1852, you have a period in history where there was, you know, polygamy was quite open. But um, especially in the beginnings and then the end of polygamy, you have these kind of like these contradictory messages going on, which is very fascinating. And um, very interesting for historians to to try to piece together. Okay, what what piece of this puzzle is the public denial, and what piece is the you know the the private practice? Right. I just I just found the actual um, reference. It's in DNC section one hundred one, verse four. Quote: In so much, inasmuch as this Church of Christ has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy. We declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman but one husband. Right. And that was in the Doctrine and Covenants all throughout the Utah period when, you know, we were practicing polygamy openly. And in 1852, we publicly announced that we were practicing polygamy. And and I believe that uh, we kept that in the Doctrine and Covenants until... You know, when was it? The 1880s or something like that. And then we replaced it with DNC 132, because we needed to show that polygamy was was a, was a religious practice, a religious belief, and so. So it made it that far, legal huh? Purposes. Pardon. So it made it that far, in our. Yeah, it was. It was that that what we we call it the article on marriage that was in the DNC until you know. All through the Utah period. Interesting. I didn't realize it survived that long. Yeah. And then they replaced it with NC 132, which is just the opposite, you know, <laughs> including a lot of stuff about plural wives. Interesting. Okay. So um, how did Oliver Cowdery, do we know anything about how Oliver Cowdery found out? Um, and how important was this issue in what resulted in his excommunication. Because I, one thing that frustrates me a tiny bit when I listen to church history, we often tend to demonize and, and kind of discredit those who ended up being disaffiliated or disaffected in some way, often assuming it was over petty or um, you know unreasonable, faithless sort of reasons. Um, uh-huh. So to what, to what extent, uh, when did Oliver Cowdery find out how important was that uh, of a factor in his uh, excommunication in 1838? Um, uh, that was that was an important factor, um, and we don't know exactly when he found out about it, but he he did find out about it, and uh, in and it was part of the reasons he um, 
you know, had a kind of had a psychological separation from Joseph Smith. And he wrote a he wrote a letter, and this is one of the earliest doc, you know contemporary documentary evidences of, of polygamy, in which he wrote a letter and accused Joseph Smith of having um, a relationship with Fanny Alger. And he described it as a he described it as an affair. He didn't see it as a, a as a marriage. I think he called it a dirty, nasty affair. Is that right? Yeah, I don't have the language right in front of me, but yeah, he was he was very angry at Joseph Smith, and so um, obviously that wouldn't endear him to Joseph Smith, and uh, that was one of the charges against him when he was excommunicated. Um, that he had falsely accused Joseph Smith of of adultery, and so Oliver Cowdery may have realized, come to realize, there was a a relationship between Joseph Smith and Fanny Alger, and perhaps Joseph Smith hadn't fully explained to him the doctrine of polygamy, so he interpreted it as a you know as as an affair. Um, so, but this is an important pattern, um, and it kind of repeated in Nauvoo, and that is people coming to find out about about polygamy, and some of them fully accepted it and said, I'll, I'll fully accept it. But others could not accept it and um, left the church. Some very prominent church leaders. So a couple... And Oliver Cowdery was, you know, obviously a very, very important early figure in early Mormonism. I think he was, wasn't he a co-president of the church or something like that, or assistant president? I believe I've read that, yeah. Yeah. So, so a couple things that characterize early polygamy were one, uh, a public denial of it through uh, the church scriptures, and secondly, a very, very selective communication of the practice by Joseph to those close to him, including not communicating it to some of the people who are most close to him. You'd think who you'd think he'd be most likely to communicate it to. Is that right? Uh, that's true. That's very true. Okay. Sometimes he, and we're getting ahead to Nauvoo a little bit now, but he hadn't told people about polygamy who were some of the highest leaders in the church, but he had selected some loyal friends and uh, got them to help him practice polygamy, just like Levi Hancock knew all about polygamy, and apparently Oliver Cowdery didn't. Um, so kind of ironic, I guess. So Fanny Auger moved out uh, what year approximately? Uh, around, this is around 1835. And did she ever return to affiliation with Joseph after that, or was that the end of their relationship in this life at least? That, that was the end of their relationship in this life. She and her family were traveling to uh, Missouri, and they went through Indiana, and she um, stayed in Indiana and married someone in Indiana there and um, named Custer. And she had a family, a large family, in uh, Indiana and uh, did not affiliate with the church after that. Of course, there wasn't a big church presence in, presence in Indiana. And uh, I imagine she continued writing to her brothers um, who came to Utah. So there were a lot of algers in Utah. Oh. And I imagine she continued to communicate with them, but um, she kind of dropped out of church records at that point. 
And and there was some interview with her later in her life where she acknowledged, or you said it was in a letter where she acknowledged having married Joseph from her point of view? No, no. Um, I'm just saying she there was probably family contact with her. Oh, so she never admitted, she never, she never actually in a, in a document acknowledges nope. this marriage? Nope, we don't have anything she ever wrote. We don't have any letter, uh, at least that I know of. Interesting. We don't have any letters or diaries or autobiographies, anything like that. We have some things written by people who were close to her, who knew her. Um, okay. So um, when did the next, when did, when did polygamy uh, reemerge again after the, the Algar affair? Um, uh, Joseph Smith married a really interesting woman named Lucinda Pendleton, um, Morgan Harris Smith, and uh, she was the widow of the Masonic Mason, Morgan, um, William Morgan, who was, who was quite a famous figure in early America. Uh, but we don't have a date for her marriage, but we know she was one of the earliest uh, wives of Joseph Smith. And uh, we know that jo- um, Joseph and Emma Smith stayed with um, her and her husband in Missouri. So I, you know, I have a theory that possibly she married Joseph Smith in Missouri, but I don't have any really solid date. So the next one where we have a solid date is uh, Eliza Beeman, and uh, that date is, let me find it here, I'm leafing through my book, what was it, 1841, I'll just go to the chart I have here, Uh, yeah, April 5th, 1841. Okay. So there may have been a, a polygamous marriage in Far West. Yeah, but we really don't know. That's my guess. How meaningful is it that up on FamilySearch.org it lists Lucinda Pendleton with a marriage date of 1838 in a place that says Far West Missouri? Is that, you know, I was I was talking to a, a family member about this issue. And I said, oh, well, all these marriages are listed on FamilySearch.org. And their response was, well, so what? That just means some member of the church just submitted it, and it may be true and it may be not. And I said, well, if I were to submit that I was married to Joseph Smith back in 1840, would it also make it through? You know, to what extent do we have any idea that maybe the church has approved, um, you know, these uh, marriages by having them show up on FamilySearch.org? You'd think on the list for Joseph, maybe they would scrub it. Do we have any idea whether this represents confirmation from the church that these things happen? <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately, FamilySearch.org, it's a wonderful tool, but it isn't, you know, it isn't reliable for details. And so we really can't, you know, use it as an authority. It does show that the church kind of agrees that there were quite a few plural wives of Joseph Smith. But... You know, for specific plural wives, we really can't take it as an authority. You know, and the best thing to do, obviously, is is get my book and see what evidence I have for each of, of the plural wives. You know, because I really thoroughly go through the evidence for each plural wife. Okay. But um, one thing that happened in the 18, uh, what was it, 60s, 70s, or 80s is there was a big controversy between 
the, the Mormon Church and the RLDS Church, which is now the Community of Christ Church. And the RLDS Church was sending missionaries to Utah and saying Joseph Smith Jr. never was a polygamist. And so Joseph, um, uh, Joseph uh, F. Smith, Joseph, yeah, Joseph S. Smith went around. And son of Hiram. A lot of, uh, son of Hiram. He went around and he got a lot of affidavits from, you know, Joseph Smith's plural wives. And so a lot of our evidence for Joseph Smith's plural, plural wives come from these affidavits. Um, later in the 1890s, um, one of the assistant uh, historians of the church named Jensen, Andrew Jensen, he published uh, uh, a list of Joseph Smith's wives, which I believe has 29 wives on it. And so that's a good conservative, you know, source from a, from a real conservative church member. And he went around and he talked to many of the wives of Joseph Smith who were still, al- who were still alive. And um, he talked to William Clayton, who performed some of the marriages in Nauvoo. And so um, those, those two sources, the affidavits and the Andrew Jensen um, list of, of, of wives, those are two you know, places you can start if you're a conservative Mormon. And was this because Joseph F. Smith was feeling like the church's credibility was being threatened by the reorganized church? Yeah, there was a, it was a very... Um, it was, you know, it was a big controversy, and there were a lot of people who, in the Midwest, who were part of the RLDS Church, and um, obviously, you know, Mormons didn't want them to, to, you know, obviously Mormons want people to be in the Mormon Church, <laughs> right. and so, you know, to support the Mormon cause, you know, and to keep people from joining the RLDS Church, because people were joining the RLDS Church, you know, because of this reason, he, he went around and he collected affidavits, you know, and the women in these affidavits, they gave the exact date when they married Joseph Smith and, and so on. Of course, some of the women had died or weren't living in Utah, and so we don't have affidavits from them. But, you know, there's also evidence um, that's good evidence from people who were plural wives, and they said, oh, yes, and we knew this woman... And she was also a plural wife. That's good, solid evidence also. Okay. So and Some uh, of these women actually left autobiographies and talked about how they married Joseph Smith. Do we have any um, journals that were written uh, at the time the marriages were performed that actually uh, give the evidence that's more contemporary with the, with the actual event itself um, that you're aware it, of? It's interesting. Um, we have a few early diaries by people like um, uh, Zina Diantha, Huntington Jacobs Young, and Eliza R. Snow, and Patty Bartlett Sessions. And they were quite reticent in their journals and did not talk about polygamy. Um, however, when they wrote um, autobiographies, often then they were more uh, forthcoming about polygamy, and then they told the stories. Um, so, for example, in the Eliza Snow case, you go to the date when she was married to Joseph Smith, and she just says this was a marvelous day, and she doesn't say specifically why it was marvelous. So you'd never know just reading the journal, but 
when you read her autobiography, you piece it together with that. And she gives the date in the autobiography, and then you, you read the two together, and they make sense. Okay. So, so you, you're, I hope you're getting the sense. This is all like a, a big puzzle. Yes. Yeah. You're getting, you know, and you're getting good pieces of evidence, and you're just putting them together, and and then everything makes more sense the more you put them together. Right. So take us through um, early Nauvoo as it starts accelerating. Do you have any idea what led to the um, the acceleration? Why why the spike in eighteen you know forty two? Let's say maybe maybe it's eighteen forty one, but it seems like in eighteen forty two this just exploded. Well, do you have any idea what history led to that explosion of acceleration? Well, um, as, as I mentioned before, Joseph Smith, I believe, from very early had been reading in the. Old Testament, and had been very profoundly um, impressed by the examples of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, especially Abraham. And, uh, and and so he came to believe, you know, depending on how you look at Joseph Smith, whether you're a Mormon or a non-Mormon, you know, he came to believe that he should practice polygamy. And um, so he started in Kirtland. I believe, but um, he went through a period of great turmoil, and uh, he was he, he dealt with a lot of legal problems in Kirtland, um, and a lot of legal and and even um, uh, uh, war, you know, problems of war in Missouri, where he had you know he was really the Mormons were really at war with the non-Mormons. And um, so finally, when he got to Nauvoo, that was like the first period where I think the Mormons felt like they could take a, a breath and really start to live their religion the, the, the way they wanted to, where they kind of had the legal freedom to do it. And Joseph Smith had his um, special charter for Nauvoo, and, um, and they were able to build up a, a big community there. And so I, I think in... Um, and for a long time, they weren't harassed by by non Mormons the way they were in in uh, Missouri. And so I think Joseph Smith felt comfortable that he could do it. He had a community around him, and uh, he felt like it was the time to start doing it. And so, beginning in that eighteen uh, April fifth, eighteen forty one date, he he began marrying plural wives. So th- there's this. There's the story of an angel drawing a sword and and threatening him with his life if he didn't start practicing it. Does that come into play here at all? Uh, that's again, that's one of these stories from late evidence, and it's you, you come across it in a number of writers. So I suspect that it was, you know, that um, uh, you know, it might have its source. Joseph Smith might have been the one who. who told that story and so um, uh, yeah that in in the early early Nauvoo I would date that story okay okay so again that's late evidence uh, so a lot of this is late evidence okay so re- so regardless it starts picking up now tell us a little bit about the nature of um, do, do we know anything about how he would um, approach it 
who who was in on it and um a little bit about uh you know once the marriage was performed you know what was the marriage like or was it a marriage uh in name only or in spirit only what can you tell us about these marriages um often he would approach the the father or or an older brother of of these women before he talked to the women Sometimes he approached the women first, and um, often he would frame it in terms of like a religious imperative. Instead of having a big romantic um, courtship, it was more like this is a religious um, thing. I've been commanded to do it, and I've had an impression that you're to be my wife, and um and sometimes the the women um, did not accept at first, and came to have a came to have a spiritual sense that Joseph Smith was right and that polygamy was right, and so they should marry him. Other women totally rejected it and never accepted his his um, proposals. And um, as I say, sometimes he worked through the father or the older brother, and so. The father of the older brother didn't want to be involved at first, and eventually they came to accept it. And um, um, so that's how he approached um, these women. And each woman had a different story, you know. And so um, that—that's an overview. It's very interesting when you get into the individual stories. Um, this just reminds me of one thing you mentioned the older brother or the father there's a there's a story early on I believe it's in Ohio where some ruffians came into Joseph's house and tried to take him outside and tried to shove poison down his throat blah 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 Um, I've heard people allege that that was actually tied to a sibling or a father of a girl that was supposedly propositioned by Joseph or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That, it, it, is, that, is, that woman was Marinda Johnson, who later married the Apostle Orson Hyde, and then later, and also married Joseph Smith. And um, uh, there's, there's one accusation in, you know, that again is fairly late, that it was involved with Joseph Smith getting involved with her when she was at that time, she was just a teenager, young teenager. Uh, but I believe that evidence is, is really not good. Hmm. So I believe they were mad at Joseph Smith for other reasons. And so um, I I personally think that, you know, that accusation is, is totally wrong based hmm. on really bad evidence. Okay. I do see on FamilySearch.org that Marinda Nancy Johnson was married in proxy to Joseph um, in Salt Lake City, but I, I don't know if that means anything. Right. I mean, yeah. Okay. Family Family search is very yeah in details very unreliable. Okay. She so married, she married Joseph Smith in Nauru, and um, later uh, uh, was divorced from Orson Hyde. This is one of these polyandrous marriages, um, but later divorced Orson Hyde, and uh, I, I believe was married. By you know, married by proxy to Joseph Smith, also, but she had married him in Nauru first. Okay, so it was clear that that Joseph felt like it was important to respect the father or the or the older sibling, 
um, to to work and through in the some cases. Yeah. In other cases, he approached the woman directly. Okay. And do do we know? You know, I remember the the first thing, even close to hinting at this, that I remember is is a story of how. Joseph had a close brother who he worked with, uh, it, one of the more prominent leaders in the church at that time, where he basically said, I'd like to have your wife and take her as my own. And so uh, it was more of a test of faith. He would, So this you know, brother would go and get his wife and in tears present his wife before Joseph and say, okay, Joseph, I love you and I trust you, so if this is what you want, here's my wife. And then Joseph would break down himself and say, this was just a test for you, and now I seal you to your wife for time and all eternity. You know, that's the first yeah, even hint of this idea that I ever heard. Uh-huh. Um, that's, yeah, that's the Heber C. Kimball story. Okay. So you can read that in the biography of Heber C. Kimball by Orson F. Whitney, who was the, the son of Helen Marr Kimball Smith Whitney, who was a plural wife of Joseph Smith and also the daughter of Heber C. Kimball. Um, so that story is there in Orson F. Whitney's book, so I think it's reliable. But but in that case, he he didn't take the wife, right? He married it to the... Right. In other cases, he did take the wife. He did marry women who were married to... already married to other men. So, and, let's, and, so you bring it up. Let's just talk about that. This is what other people refer to as polyandry. To, right. Tell us... You know, did the husband know? A lot of people also come to it as a huge shock that Joseph married women who were at the time married to men who were living, some of them actually faithful in the church. Uh-huh. So tell us about that. Um, it's one of the really interesting problematic areas of, of early Mormon polygamy. And uh, we would like more data about it. You know, you know, what we would really like is a good, you know, autobiography by Joseph Smith, and we don't have that. <laughs> right, right. Um, however, some of the women, uh, especially one woman, Mary Elizabeth Rollins-Leitner, she, um, she left an autobiography and told about Joseph Smith, approached her, and she was married to another man. She was married to a non-Mormon named Adam Leitner. And she said that Joseph Smith approached her and said that um, he had been connected with her in the pre-existence, and that um, you know, and for that reason, um, that they kind of were a matched couple, and they should be married in this life. And um, so, for eternity, think, for eternity, right? Um, you said married in this life, but it was for eternity, right? Uh, well, all of. All of these marriages were for eternity, okay. but they were also for for life, you know, for time okay. and eternity. Okay. These polygamous marriages that Joseph Smith had, they were for time and eternity. Right. Um, and so, um, she 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 was one of these women. She she took a while before she could, you know, accept it. But then she did marry Joseph Smith. But in all these marriages, where Joseph Smith married women who were married to other men, the women kept, continued living with the the other men, who I call the first husband, which is very interesting. They didn't leave the first husband and then, you know, um, be wives of Joseph Smith openly. They stayed living with their previous husbands and continued having children 
by them. And did the husbands ever know? Uh, here's here's one case where we would like to know more because none of these first husbands left uh, autobiography to the to the best of my knowledge. And um, we we have a family tradition in the case of Zina Huntington, who was one of these. She was married to a, a Mormon named Henry Jacobs, a faithful Mormon. And when she married Joseph Smith, and um, according to family traditions, uh, Henry Jacobs felt you know, knew about it and said the, the thinking of God and the prophets is higher than my thinking. You know, I will, I will, you know, I will allow this. Hmm. And um, that's just a family tradition, and these family traditions are they're late, you know, but. Sometimes they're true, so perhaps he knew, and um, obviously it must have been a whole, very, very difficult test. Um, we, he, uh, his wife, Zina, had two kids, and uh, I believe they were both the children of Henry Jacobs. And, um, however, it's very interesting. Um, she later married Brigham Young, uh, at the same time that Brigham Young was still married to Zina, and and Henry Jacobs stood as a witness in the in the Nauvoo Temple, and Zina was pregnant with their second son, and then Henry and Jacobs started going across um, going across Iowa, so very complicated hmm. stories here. Um, but I I believe some of the men knew. I believe in other cases that that the first husbands did not know, and I suspect when there was a non-Mormon that the, who was the first husband that the non-Mormons, uh, you know, the first husbands were not told. And, As in the case of um, Adam Leitner. Um, right. In the case of Marinda Johnson, Orson Hyde was on his mission to Israel when she married Joseph Smith. And we have uh, that date for her marriage to Joseph Smith in... Joseph Smith's journal. You know, so that's very good evidence in Joseph Smith's own journal. So and so, we don't know if Orson Hyde knew about it because he was just so far away. He was gone. Yeah. So, um, how many uh, polyandrous marriages were you able to find or confirm in your studies? Um, let's see. I have this quantified someplace right here. I, let me... I'll I'll just stall for you. I, I I've read okay, yeah. Oh, I've I've read anywhere between eight and something like seven and ten. You know, the, the women that he married okay. were were married to other men at the time. Yeah, of the first twelve marriages, nine were polyandrous. Okay, the first twelve, and then of all the later ones, um, what was it? It was something like eighteen or nineteen. I don't have it right in front of me. So, you, okay, so there's a su- substantial number. So you go, you go up close to twenty polyandrous marriages. Yeah, I've never heard yeah, it that. Well, I've never heard it that high. Yeah, of the, uh, well, this might be worth doing. We'll we'll go through here. Of the first twelve, nine were polyandrous, and then we have um, one, two. Just two more, I guess. Um, okay, so you're about your count's at about eleven right now so far. Yeah, I, I, 
think it's more than that for some reason. Let's, let's make sure we get this right here. Okay. So the first 12, I'll read them off. Let's see. We have Lucinda Pendleton, Zina, 2, Persendia, 3, uh, Sylvia Sessions, 4, Mary Elizabeth, 5, Patty Bartlett, 6, Miranda Johnson, 7, Elizabeth Davis, 8, Sarah Cleveland, 9, okay, um, Ruth Sayer, 10, Elvira Annie Holmes, 11. Okay, so yeah. Okay. Nine of the first twelve, and then eleven of the thirty-three. Eleven total. Okay, so that also tells us you have you you've been able to document about thirty-three total right. um, polygamous marriages for Joseph. Exactly. Right. So what? Um, but it is it, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, like the last twenty-two uh, were he married single women. You know, whereas uh, the first twelve they, they were mostly these polyandrous marriages. So, um, so yeah, another thing that you hear often, um, maybe is a misconception, we'll get to this later, is that a lot of the women taken on were, were older women who were left without husbands on the frontier, and, and so it was more of an act of charity and of support than it was anything else, and, uh, you know, what can you, you know, I've also heard allegations that there were very young girls or young women involved, what can you tell us about the ages of some of the, the single, younger um, women? Well, both both of those things are true, and only they're only untrue if you say that's the whole story. Like, if you say there were all these younger women, you know, that would be untrue. If you say there are all these, you know, older women that, you know, people were marrying just to give them support, that would be untrue also. So you have both things going on. You have, you know, Mormons marrying younger women and um, having big families. And one of the, you know, one of the reasons for polygamy was this idea of having big families, having lots of kids. Okay. But you also had situations where um, you had um, a single woman in the ward and a bishop would marry her, you know, to, so he could give her support. And, um, and sometimes you had situations where you had a woman and um, two church and, uh, well, uh, you, what, you had what you called dynastic alliances. In other words, church, two church leaders wanted to kind of, kind of cement their friendship, and so one would marry the, the daughter of, of another church leader. So um, that's another motivation. Depth of your dreams, the height of your wishes.